everybody, welcome to FNS Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host down in the basement for a very rare solo mission. My regular podcast is myself and my teenage son talking in-depth about AEW Dynamite, a little bit of a look at NXT usually, as well as Impact Wrestling, some main roster WWE stuff, news and rumors, trivia, update from figures. So if you're just stumbling across this episode here, uh, please check out what we jokingly like to call our flagship show. We'll be back for episode 119. I believe it is tomorrow. We usually put them out on Saturday afternoons or early evening. So keep an eye out for that if you like what you hear here. So basically what's happening is I watched Halloween Havoc on whatever day that was. My son Jack watched the first part of it with me. He likes to drag his feet. He doesn't love NXT. So I, he waited too long. I ended up watching the rest of the show on my own. And just by some stroke of luck, the house is completely empty on a Friday afternoon. Actually, morning still right now. Afternoon by the time I publish this, no doubt. And I have a bit of a microphone addiction problem since starting this podcast a couple years ago. So anytime the house is quiet and I can get down in the studio that now has a little bit of sound treatment on the walls to try just different microphones and different audio setups, which I'm sure is not entertaining for most of you to hear. So I am using a different microphone if you're a regular listener and it sounds different Um, just trying a little more sensitive microphone without anyone else in the room or even in the whole house so just for my own amusement and I thought why not come down and talk about Halloween Havoc on my own since Jack wouldn't really have much to contribute he only watched the first two matches so I appreciate you uh, spending any time to listen to me break down this show that I would at least call a mixed bag for me there are things on this show that I loved that are, as I would say, which is a really high compliment, TakeOver worthy because NXT and NXT TakeOver were my favorite thing in wrestling for years. Um, So I'm still hanging on watching every episode of NXT since its inception, whatever year that was, many, many years ago. Um, Wanted to quit during the 2.0, stopped covering it in detail on our podcast, but did continue watching it and just sort of pulling highlights and lowlights from it. So I have not given up on NXT. I did watch this Uh, what is it premium live event we can't call it a pay-per-view anymore and like I said some amazing things on this show some things I really didn't care for on this show um, and maybe some filler along the way but I say we get into talking about all of those things now as I take a look at NXT's Halloween Havoc 2022 so this show started out with a video package as they tend to do it was a slick hype package sort of highlighting I think every match on the show I'm not going to have a lot to say about segments and video packages and things on the show more sticking to the matches and things but I thought this package was good uh, other than the inclusion of Chucky which for me it doesn't work I understand this is Halloween Havoc and they want to include spooky and quote-unquote fun stuff but this is not what I call fun Um, and there's going to be some pretty large doses of things I didn't find fun on this particular show, but the opening match, which we'll talk about now, is definitely not one of those things. So we opened the show as kind of expected, I think most people would expect. It's a five-way ladder match for the North American Championship featuring Nathan Frazier, Oro Mensa, Wes Lee, Von Wagner, and Carmelo Hayes. Now right out of the gate, uh, I would suggest that one of those names does not belong here. If you listen to the weekly show, you know myself and my son Jack are pretty hard on one Von Wagner. But I think he really served a purpose in this match. And 
the what he was asked to do, I think he did well, and he wasn't asked to do so, too much, which is the key with someone um, as inexperienced as Wagner. But the other four guys in this match, really exciting to uh, get them all together in a ladder match. And to me, this... I had high expectations for this match, and I think it actually over-delivered. So a few things just to go through my notes that I took on it. So Lee hits a super kick to Mello right away, and they sort of head outside the ring, leaving Wagner to deal with the other two inside the ring. So Fraser hits a diving crossbody out to the floor, and he introduces the first ladder of this match. We've got Mensa and Fraser working together a little bit here to take out the others with the ladder. Fraser hits a flatliner to Hayes uh, into a ladder set up in the corner, so... The impact of people on ladders in this match and the stuff these guys were willing to do. This is sort of just the tip of the iceberg in terms of people um, landing on ladders. We then have the smaller guys in this, which I guess would be everybody but Wagner. I was This was a hard match to take detailed notes for, I'm not going to lie. Things were happening so quickly, so there, there might not be some specifics here. But anyway, the smaller guys take turns pulling each other off of ladders and hitting moves. Um, Mello gets backdropped onto a, la a ladder by Mensa. Then Mensa is immediately shotgun drop kicked onto a ladder by someone. I have, I think it was Wesley, but again, uh, rapid fire here and trying to take notes. Wagner then boots Lee, fights the others off with a ladder. Uh, this culminates in Nathan Fraser getting power bombed onto a ladder that's spanning the corner. Looked pretty painful. Um, Carmelo Hayes then climbs up, gets drop kicked off the ladder by Nathan Fraser, who gets crushed by Lee and a ladder from the corner. Um, he sort of, I think it was like he. The ladder standing, he comes off the ladder, kind of sitting and flipping it onto Fraser, if I remember correctly. Anyways, uh, just chaos in this match. Oro Mensa uh, hits a springboard moonsault onto somebody on a ladder. We get um, a leg drop by Hayes, another springboard, his springboard leg drop to someone else on a ladder. A ridiculous Spanish fly off the second rope uh, to Carmelo Hayes onto a ladder. It just looked incredibly painful, crazy looking spot. Everyone gets taken out on the floor. Mensa is left alone to climb the ladder. He, of course, gets pushed off uh, and is kind of short landing on the guys outside. It looked awkward and a little bit dangerous, but it looks like everybody obviously continued the match and everything was fine. Um, Robert Stone, if that's still what he's going by, Mr. Stone. Um, he and Trick climb the ladder for some reason. Trick William and, of course, Stone uses his shoe, but the ladder gets pushed over and he ends up falling as well. Wagner then throws a ladder onto two people on the outside before getting another ladder. And I have <laughs> Wagner versus ladder. He struggles out on the floor here with a ladder and he almost hits a fan in the head with it in the first row. Um, as he's, I don't know if he was trying to, I can't remember if he's trying to span it from the ring to the apron or just get it out from under the ring, but it was a little bit of an awkward moment for Wagner here. But he does finally get this ladder spanned from the ring to the barricade, but gets knocked onto it and ends up taking a frog splash from Fraser, and the ladder just snaps right in half in another crazy-looking spot. We get a bunch of action out on the floor among the smaller guys, and that leaves Wesley standing. He gets another ladder. And then, uh, this was ridiculous, Gorilla Press by Wagner. He presses Lee easily up over his head, launches him from the ring onto the announce table, and the announce table does not break, so Wesley just kind of bounces off of the table in what was... A ridiculous looking spot like if this is the only thing Wagner had to do uh, it still looked pretty impressive so this is why you I don't mind a power guy in a match like this just for a few um, crazy power spots like this and it also helps Wesley look to 
helped him to look more resilient. That baby face who is taking tons of punishment and crazy spots and is hopefully still going to find a way to persevere here. So again, I think Wagner did add something. Um, so Fraser and Mensa work together again. They take Wagner out with the ladder out on the floor. And then Mensa and Fl Fraser both go up the ladder. Fraser gets pushed off. Um, Mello pulls Mensa off the ladder onto another ladder and then throws Mensa to the floor. Carmelo Hayes and Lee then battle on the ladder bridge, uh, leading to Lee hitting a Meteora on the ladder to Carmelo Hayes. That's enough for Lee to climb up the ladder and finds the time to grab the title. He becomes the new North American champion after 19 minutes of craziness. This is pretty much your ideal opener, in my opinion. Just an absolute car crash of a match. And sometimes just non-stop spots with tables and things but there was wrestling involved here there were moves involved here it wasn't just hitting people with things um it was doing moves to people including the tables and stuff and that's the type of action i prefer in these and i got that pretty much non-stop in this four amazing athletes and then small doses of von wagner as just a power guy i think it worked really well this was a million miles an hour these guys risked their safety um several times each probably to put on one hell of an opening match i am really happy for wesley he's really talented i hope he has a decent run with this title as he could put on some really entertaining matches with any of the other people involved in this match minus wagner probably i wouldn't wouldn't be my choice but you could also add in somebody like axiom um, that could have amazing matches with wesley i wish they would um, tweak wesley's character a little bit he's a little bit of the really nice baby face right now it feels like they kind of struggle making a, a strong baby face, but um, I'm glad Wesley's getting some attention. It's always tough when your tag team partner sort of disappears from the company. Sometimes WWE seems to struggle knowing what to do with that remaining partner, but it seems like they're trying something here with Wesley. Again, a fantastic opening match that I really, really enjoyed. It will probably be on my list. I have a running list. We do um, an end of year sort of best and worst of, so I co compile a list that I keep adding to as the year goes on, and I will be putting this match on there. In fact, I might do that now before we move to talking about the next match. So the next thing we get is not really a match. It is a bunch of robed figures, druids is the term WWE seems to love to use. They're carrying a casket out to the ring, but then we cut to Alba Fire challenging Mandy Rose to meet her at a haunted house with Mandy agreeing despite the protests of JC Jane and Dolan, who I can't remember her first name, Gigi Dolan, I believe. You can tell the excitement in my voice as I recap this particular segment. This is just some of the, the highs and lows of this show, man. We started with the high, and now we're sort of plumbing the depths, if you ask me. But I, I'm, I have a long history of not liking any of the cinematic, spooky, supernatural stuff, so this is obviously not up my alley but anyways let's talk about it so toxic attraction drive up to the haunted house in their white range rover i believe it is they discuss beating fire down before dragging her back to the ring to defeat her so their plan is obviously to use their numbers advantage to take out alba fire in this haunted house and then drag her back to the ring and easily beat her so that mandy can retain and be the champion for a year and then you would think the flip side of that the plan would be for Alba Fire to take out the other members of Toxic Attraction so as so to eliminate that numbers advantage so that she can get Mandy back to the ring and win because that would make sense. But that might not be what we get. But anyways, Toxic Attraction get out of the car, head into the house. 
Um, some bald zombie guy. I'm just going through my, my my notes where I'm already frustrated at by this segment at this point. So if they're sarcastic, I apologize. Some bald zombie guy grabs JC and she knocks him out. They approach the house. The door creaks open. Alba's voice beckons them inside. They go in and it's spooky. They discuss splitting up because it's Scooby-Doo and we all know that that's a great thing to do. And my notes just say they keep talking and it's pretty boring. Lots of weird looking characters and no wrestling. Jane gets grabbed by Fry and taken away. Fry then takes out uh, somebody. I think it was Dolan. I forgot a name there. After a brief brawl by locking her in the fridge. We get some organ music. Uh, Alba appears with her bat and they start to fight. Mandy ends up with the bat. A creature of some kind takes it back. And this is exhausting at this point. Alba throws Mandy into the car, beats down the other two some more before driving off. So it looks like we're going to get what we thought. She's taken out the two members of Toxic Attraction, has Mandy in the car to bring her back to the arena, where we do sort of end up this segment mercifully in the arena now. And the casket is at ringside, and we're taking a break from the women's match to, well, I guess the, technically the women's match hadn't started at this point, but the preamble of the women's match, we're going to pause that to hit our next match, which is the Grayson Waller-Apollo Cruz casket match. So before we get there, obviously I hated this whole segment, this whole haunted house idea. Um, the only thing that amused me slightly was Gigi Dolan because she's the darker of Toxic Attraction. I don't know whether to call her a goth person. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't want to mislabel her. But anyway, she's the one who seems kind of okay with the spooky stuff and not really scared and kind of amused and entertained by it. So I thought that was a little touch of entertainment. But the rest of this is just nothing I'm interested in. This was a gigantic waste of time. And as good as that opening match was, that's almost as bad as I thought this segment was. So it has already added to my list of like, I also have a running list of worst things or things I really did not like. And this this made the list. I felt like um, not only was this filler that just didn't make sense to me and wasn't entertaining, but it also, the end result is not anything logical. Like talk to me, Jane and Dolan should be taken out and done. And that's how Fire has a chance now because it's one-on-one. -on -one. And if Mandy's going to retain, it's actually going to be by her own abilities without help from the other two. Or because they're not there, not there sorry, she could possibly finally give up this championship to somebody else. But none of those things are going to happen. Um, so it makes this segment even worse, in my opinion. But anyways, let's get to Apollo Crews and Grayson Waller. This has been a ridiculous little feud as well because Apollo Cruz got eye gouged a couple times in a match and suddenly that has become Cruz's obsession and entire character. His eye bleeds. He has premonitions and visions that the audience of NXT have access to, which is always tough to pull off. Um, so yeah, this, this whole feud was based on a couple illegal moves in a match that happens in every match all the time, basically. So... I compared it on one episode of our show to, you know, building a feud off of um, one of the wrestlers using a closed fist because we're pretty much at that point here. You eye gouged me twice. This feud will go on for a month. Um, it's too bad. Apollo Crews is better at speaking now. Um, he's never really been given a character when he was in NXT. I felt like he was called up too early from NXT. So they're trying to give him a character, but uh, introspective character who has visions premonitions, if you will, uh, is not working for me. Okay, so anyways, it is the culmination of this feud in theory. It is a casket match. 
So Cruz is in control of this one early with some strikes and chops. Then a Grayson super kick sort of turns the tide. He hits a second rope, el his like baller between the legs elbow drop. We get a moonsault off the apron by Cruz that I described as glancing. He definitely did not hit all of it. Looked great in the air, just the impact wasn't good. Then we're out on the floor. Cruz hits a belly-to-belly -belly overhead on the floor. Uh, the crowd honestly seems drained after the opener and then sort of dealing with that lull of the haunted house nonsense that they would have had to watch on the screen in the arena, which is never a pleasant experience, especially when the segment itself is also terrible, in my opinion. So the energy of this crowd seems to be sapped pretty well at this point. But Waller takes a shotgun drop kick, ends up on top of the announce table, and he ends up using a pen to jab Apollo in the eye and then run him into the ring post. And I think it was Vic Joseph, whoever on commentary pointed it out or else I kind of would have missed it but he did in fact use the pen which is kind of a nice touch based on this story of eye gouging being the sort of reason for this feud um, they both are up top now Waller gouges Cruz's eyes some more pushes Cruz off and through the smashes through the lid of the casket as it and is in the casket Grayson Waller thinks he won I sort of thought he won some of the crowd seems to think he won uh, the referee disagrees, so the match is not over. I guess technically he did not close the lid on his opponent, if that is the technical wording, because he just crashed through the lid, but perfectly into the casket. In what was a pretty cool spot, easily could have ended a match, but it doesn't, because we have to go this route. The lights go out for a little while. The lights come back on. And now Apollo Crews is no longer in the casket, the druids, the robed people, and Cruz sort of now walk towards the ring down the ramp with another casket, the more standard oversized casket match casket we've seen before, rather than the plain looking um, wooden one that Cruz just fell through. So the match, I guess, is still happening. Grayson Waller gets run into the steps as Booker calls for the match to be over already. We get a stiff looking Samoan drop on the floor to Waller, a moonsault off the steps by Cruz to Waller on the floor, then a series of clothesline and Cruz uh, punches, uh, pushes I imagine, that's a typo, I don't think he pouched him into the casket, pushes Waller into the casket, Waller gets up and ends up slamming the lid on Apollo Cruz repeatedly. Now, Cruz is in the casket, but he stops the lid from closing, pulls Waller in, they're both kind of sitting up in this casket I compared it looks like they're sitting in a bathtub together uh, Waller is eventually thrown to the floor and Cruz hits a splash from the apron we get an insegiri by Cruz and a cutter by Waller before some taunting by Waller uh, Waller goes for a tombstone but that's countered into like a I don't know if it's an inverted lung blower but he's got him in a tombstone grip into a lung blower it looked pretty cool and then Waller takes a choke slam from Cruz from the apron into the casket. Cruz slams the lid shut to win the match after a shockingly only 13 minutes. Felt longer to me. Um, I, I don't know. I thought this match was good, I guess, but not great. Uh, definitely the opener was a tough act to follow. And like I said, I think the crowd en energy was kind of taken away by the Alba Fire Mandy Rose Haunted House segment. These two, they put on a solid match, right? The lights going out and Cruz disappearing is always a miss for me, um, as well as the little bit of confusion. of If you get slammed through the lid of the casket and are in it, and technically the lid is closed, you just smash through it, feels like maybe that's the end of a match. But I guess that gives the heel Waller something to complain about, but I feel like this should be the end of the feud, so I don't know if we'll hear him complain about it. But 
NXT loves doing that kind of stuff during Halloween Havoc. It's fine. It maybe is my own issue. Maybe everybody else loves the spooky, supernatural stuff. I do not. But there were some good spots in this match. I don't think it was great. I think it was fine to good. Uh, and I'm hoping it ends the feud and that Cruz moves away from this premonition, seeing the future thing that he's been doing that just isn't working for me because he is really good in the ring. So, decent match. Nothing spectacular. We then move into a Chase University segment with, I guess, Duke Hudson is joining the class or has transferred to Chase University or however they're going to spin it. Bodie Hayward is not happy about this, obviously. So Chase is lecturing about Halloween Havoc. Uh, there's a question asked of some historical question about Halloween Havoc. I forget what it was specifically. Bodie answers it incorrectly, but Hudson gets it right. And it, basically the idea is Bodie doesn't trust Duke. But Chase wants Bodhi to be better prepared for class in the future, and Bodhi says he will be prepared for Tuesday. So clearly introducing Duke Hudson into this group, I don't know, uh, it's fine. Chase University, I've moved into accepting that they're just some comic relief on this show. They're not a real threat as a faction or anything. It's a way to get sort of new characters in, like Thea Hale and Bodhi Hayward, sort of working with... Um, Andre Chase, I was going to call him Harlem Bravado, his previous independent name, because he's a veteran, right? So I, I don't mind Chase U. They, they're an amusing little break on this show most of the time. We then move to a what is sold to us as a major grudge match between Roxanne Perez and Cora Jade. And this is a weapons wild match, which just means extreme rules, whatever you want to say. They can do anything they want. So obviously, this is the story of two good friends who are now at odds with Cora Jade taking the role of the heel in this. So the problem with this is these are two incredibly young people. I will keep coming back to that point, but I feel like there may be actual story here where they are actually friends, but they're both so bad at acting at this point that their real backstory seems f more fake than some made-up things that characters talk about just because these two are inexperienced and I find them not believable at all acting so it kind of this has been i'm a fan of roxanne perez i think she's a great talent cora jade she's growing on me as a heel for sure but again they're like 20 and 21 year old people engaged in this match so that is going to be something that qualifies sort of my opinion on this but anyways we get a skateboard attack by perez early and they, my notes aren't nice already. They take turns horribly acting like they might actually hit each other with the skateboard. Because last time there was a skateboard attack, the skateboard was basically made of wet cardboard and just sort of fell apart and looked awful. So I think they wanted to use a real skateboard, but then they're they're really being careful to not actually hit each other. And it does, again, not good actors at this point, right? Doesn't mean they won't ever be. It might be soon, could be tomorrow. But right now at this point, they're not. So this looked kind of wonky to me, I guess, would be the word I would choose. We then get some horrible looking head smashes to Jade onto the skateboard. Just the camera angle they chose and the execution made it look clear that nothing was happening here. Perez rolls Jade out to the floor while Jade is lying on the skateboard, right? So she's uh, lying chest on the skateboard, pushes it out, kind of like the Rey Mysterio sliding out of the ring to the floor, but on a skateboard. That was kind of creative. I'll give them points for that. Um, Jade sprays something in Perez's eyes at one point, and then sort of Cesaro swings uh, Roxanne into the barricade. I, I think that's generally a cool-looking spot. It looked pretty vicious. We get trash can lid shots. Uh, Perez is in a trash can and takes a Jade double stomp at one point. We get a rope across Perez's face out on the floor a little bit later. 
then we have a chain that Jade introduces. She misses with the chain and Perez counterattacks with a rope and then sends Cora Jade into the steps. We get a kendo stick, also is brought into this. We get attack to Cora Jade with a kendo stick, ending in the Lushen, Lushen, <laughs> I was going to say Lushen Reg Sweep. So Russian Leg Sweep. This is why I need someone across from me talking so I don't get tangled up like this. Uh, sorry, a Russian Leg Sweep with the kendo stick for a near fall. We get a Frankensteiner by Roxanne for a two count. Um, then things sort of brawling up into the balcony where Jade body slams Perez onto the balcony and then starts to remove a section of the railing. There's a little bit of trash talk between the two, I guess mostly um, from Jade at this point. But Perez ends up fighting back. She hesitates for a moment because she has the opportunity to sort of strike Jade and knock her off. But again, this is her former friend of many years. So she's a little bit conflicted for a minute. And then I don't know if this was supposed to look like a Russian leg sweep or what it was, but it basically looks to me like they're hugging each other and just sort of fall from the balcony onto whatever's un underneath as safely as they can. Listen, I I'm not going to do this spot myself, so I can't be super critical, but it didn't look, and again, very young people probably doing stuff like this for the first time, but it didn't look great. It looked like a very comfortable embrace and then crash through some safe stuff at the bottom. Good for them for doing it. Again, I'm not going to do it, but it didn't look great to me. Perez then counters, um, backdrops Jade onto a pile of chairs that's in the ring, I think, at this point. And then I think Jade says something like, you were never my friend. And I think Perez replies with something like, you'll always be my friend, something along that. But then she hits Pop Rocks onto the chairs to pick up the win here. And so, I mean... Again, this was basic and sloppy at times. It wasn't a classic, but again, it doesn't change the fact that this is a 20 and a 21-year-old people working their butts off and taking plenty of risks here, right? Getting hit with lots of things, falling off a balcony, regardless of how good I think it looked, they did it. So at this point in their careers, I still say they both struggle mightily when they're acting, but there's no doubt there's a bright future for these two. I think especially Perez, but Cora Jade as well for her age and what she's accomplishing at this point. They clearly see something and are looking to sort of elevate her. Um, so if this is what they're doing on pay-per-views at 20 and 21 years old, I, I can't be super critical. I didn't love this match. I don't think it was terrible either. But again, very young people learning on the job. So I, I it's easy to forgive some issues with the match. So overall... That's my thought on that, basically. Then we get some large, lengthy Miz package that I don't know why it's there other than to fill time, and I skipped it. Then we get a quick shot of Dragunov warming up in the locker room, and I think Chucky's in one of the lockers. Great. Um, Shotzi, who I didn't mention, was the host. Um, she comes back out. I think she was the Joker early on, and now she comes out as... Um, oh my goodness, why can't I remember his name? Beetlejuice, there you go. Looking really good. So she's looking for Quincy. He's nowhere to be seen. Quincy Elliott is the co-host, right? So he comes out in a banana costume, which I thought was kind of strange just because Shotzi's required a lot of effort, right? And she looked really good. And then he looked like he picked up from the party store a $20 banana costume. So there was a bit of a, a contrast there for sure. We get some banana puns from Quincy that I didn't make specific note of. Good old Lash legend interrupts, of course. Quincy, Quincy uh, replies to Lash. Lash feels that she should have been the host because she's got hosting experience and not somebody from SmackDown like Shotzi. 
Quincy takes another shot or two at Lash verbally. Shotzi says she can handle it herself, screams, uh, then ends up DDTing Lash, and this is going to lead to a match on Tuesday, which is not something I want to see. I'm not a big Lash Legend fan. Again, not completely her fault. I believe they have asked her to do too much too soon. She's not good in the ring. She has some charisma. She just needs some more seasoning. Um, so I'm not looking forward to a Shotzi Lash interaction at all. But anyways, so this kind of felt like filler as well. We move right into some more filler. It's the schism segment. Um, so Joe Gacy and the other two whose names I can't possibly remember, even though I was big fans of them as the griddled, grizzled young veterans, uh, they've taken any sort of interest away from any of these guys for me, even though I think all three are talented. So it's a recap of events involving them, and they're preparing to unmask their fourth member. Um, but they'll have to, we'll all have to wait till Tuesday. People should have listened to them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think they're going to be more violent now, which is fine by me. But I don't really think too many people care. These segments are generally met with very, very little reaction from the crowd. So felt like more filler here, totally unnecessary. Quick recap of Diamond Mine history, complete with a little bit of a timeline, focusing on significant events leading up to this issue with Damon Kemp, obviously betraying them, uh, leaving Diamond Mine. And now we've got this match, which is Damon Kemp taking on Julius Creed in an ambulance match. And Julius Creed needs to win to save his brother Brutus's career. If Damon Kemp leaves, Brutus is done in NXT. So um, I have some thoughts on this match as well, but let's talk about it first. So I thought it was funny. Julius comes down the ramp throwing pumpkins at Kemp, and he actually hits him with one of them. So I think the crowd appreciated that. I think they'd been calling for some use of the pumpkins earlier in this show already. So we get a missile drop kick to Kemp as he's holding a chair as Julius is dominating early because he's just fired up in defense of his brother, which makes sense. So he's kind of really starting out quickly here. We get suplexes from him in the ring and on the floor. Um, here's one of my sore spots. They have to brawl toward the ambulance. It's parked wherever it is. So they have to multiple times fight towards this. And it's kind of like brawling through the crowd, which is one of my least favorite things. But it has to happen a few times here to get them to this ambulance. So Kemp almost loses uh, but at the ambulance here, but stops the door with a crutch. Uh, and I just thought that was an interesting choice, too, because that was a really early attempt to get Kemp in the ambulance. And I just feel like in this situation, although I guess he is fighting for his brother's career, so he might want to get it over quickly to ensure. But I just thought, wouldn't he want to punish this guy more for everything he's done for them than to beat him in like three minutes? But maybe not with your brother's career on the line, I guess. Obviously, we get a fire extinguisher introduced and discharged at one point. Kemp hits a back suplex on the floor, runs Creed into the steps to shift the momentum here. They start brawling towards the ambulance again. Kemp slams Julius in the ambulance door. Julius gets loaded in, but he kicks the door uh, before it closes, fires up, runs Kemp into the reg uh, ring post eventually. We get an Urinagi to Creed on the steps because um, now they're, the steps have ended up in the ring, so he takes a, a rock bottom basically on the steps. Look pretty painful. We get a wheelchair introduced, a crutch used as a seatbelt to hold Kemp in the chair, and he's run face first into the steps that were kind of hanging over the edge of the ring. The impact didn't look great, but it was an attempt at a, a, a creative spot, I guess. They brawl and throw each throw a bunch of stuff at each other. Julius ends up in a cart, and Kemp runs it into the back of the ambulance, as we're back at the ambulance now. Kemp uh, then throws Creed in the ambulance, but Creed, this I don't know how they did this because it looked real creed ends up sacrificing his hand his hand just repeatedly slammed into the door 
um, to stop that second door from closing and ending the match. It looked great here. This fires Creed up again. He throws Kemp onto a table, dives on top, throws a desk uh, chair, hits Kemp with a folding chair repeatedly. I caps lock that because it was many, many, many times. Before powerbombing Kemp through a stretcher, he carries Kemp to the ambulance, throws him in, closes the door to pick up the win here. Um, so again, middle ground for me on this one. There was some good stuff in this match. However, I would have preferred both of these guys have deep amateur backgrounds and history. I would have preferred a straight up competitive like 12 to 15 minute match in ring. I guess this is something they can still get to if they want to continue this interaction with Kemp and Diamond Mine. But this sort of feels like this would be the blow-off match for this, being an ambulance match. But again, I would have really liked to see these two in just a standard match. Um, I feel like this was taking them out of their comfort zone and away from their strengths. And again, there's so many weapons and so much plunder, I guess, as you would say, on this show that it starts to lose some of its power for me. And at this point, it's just a lot of this has already happened on this match and there's more to, or on this show, sorry, and there's more to follow. So, and also for me, there's just a lot of downtime brawling to locations and finding things to use or throw. It's a little more than I would like. Like we got to fight our way to the ambulance, fight our way back to the ring, fight our way to the ambulance again, fight our way back. Um, Julius Creed is great in the ring. I think he's a mega talent. It would have been interesting to see what he and Kemp could do given time on a pay-per-view or a PLE, whatever you want to call it. But instead, we got like a basic kind of weapons match, ambulance match, I understand. But it's just all weapons other than being thrown in. So it didn't really feel special to me. But I, again, I didn't dislike it, but I also didn't like it. So it's somewhere right in the middle for me. I know that's kind of fence-sitting and I should have a strong opinion. But if I don't, I'm not going to lie to you and pretend that I do. I just thought this was watchable. But I would have preferred something else, frankly. Uh, Alba Fire then shows up in the Range Rover with Mandy Rose. So I guess Mandy Rose made no attempt to defend herself or to stop this car ride or to do anything because they just roll up and they make their way from the parking lot to the ring for their match. If I were abducted by somebody and, and still conscious, I, I'd like to think I would put up a fight in the car as the driver is distracted and driving, but... I don't know. Maybe not, I guess. I've never been in that position. So we do get this match. Alba Fire versus Mandy Rose for the NXT Women's Championship. Fire's in control early. Obviously, Rose was the hostage, so she's sort of um, fighting from underneath at this point. Rose eventually does take over on the floor, smashes Fire into uh, the announce table. We got a follow-away slam by Rose for two. Double clothesline. Both women are down now. A strike exchange, a super kick, and a front suplex by Fire. Rose hits a spine buster. Fire has a fireman's carry into like a sit-out powerbomb for two that looked pretty cool. She goes up top, goes for her swanton, but Toxic Attraction show up and they pull the referee out. So the whole, whole thing of the haunted house, the only thing that could have had it be somewhat relevant for me is that it took out the other two members of Toxic Attraction so Mandy couldn't play the numbers game, but that's not even going to happen. All we're going to get is... The same thing we get in every other Mandy Rose match, right? She's somewhat competitive, but still needs to cheat. And in the same way with multiple distractions, etc., etc. Anyways, there's a ref bump. There's a gory bomb, but no referee there to make any count for fire. Um, so she eventually heads out to go get the referee. But again, she gets taken out by toxic attraction out on the floor. Rolled back into the ring. 
Rose hits her Rose trigger or whatever she wants to call the knee. Referee makes the count, and she retains in a very standard Mandy Rose match. It wasn't great. It was felt like a TV match. This is basically what she does, right? She has, this was not a very long match, if you don't include the Haunted House stuff as part of the match. Uh, Fire got to hit a few cool moves. She's really good, but this character is awful for her. You've made her 100% about Fire and constant Fire puns and wordplay. And it's just, there's nothing else to her. And it's just not interesting. It's too bad because she's fantastic in the ring. She's ready for main roster. I don't know what else they need her to do in NXT. They clearly have no designs of giving her a championship at this point or in the future. It doesn't look like. So this was nothing. This felt like not much better than a TV match. It's standard Mandy Rose. She can't win without the other people interfering. And for some reason, it just doesn't work for me. That story can work. Um, it's not working with these three. I'm not sure who thinks Mandy Rose still needs to be the champion for this long, or if they're going after the record run. I think that's probably Asuka. I'm not sure. But anyways, I, I I didn't enjoy this. I just felt like this was not a championship match on a pay-per-view at all for me. So not my favorite. We then go to Zoe Stark and Nikita Lyons talking about their match for the Tag Team Championship on Tuesday. And Malik Blade and Idris Anafe show up to offer their support. And then they started talking about how they also have a match against Pretty Deadly on Tuesday. And that they will shock Pretty Deadly and the world in that match on Tuesday. So we're getting a couple tag team championship matches on NXT this week. Then we get sort of a recap and hype package ahead of the main event. So it's all about sort of JD McDonough, Braun Breaker, Ilya Dragunov. And McDonough really is hated by both of these men. He's been doing whatever he can to turn everyone against each other um, and just being an awful heel, right? Braun Breaker is your dominant, super powerful champion, sort of the unbeatable one. You've got Ilya Dragunov, who is just known for taking a ton of punishment and being really resilient. And then you've got JD McDonough, who's known for being this technician who's going to target a body part and know a million different ways to dissect you. So right away, I really like that combination. Everybody has a character and everybody's character is fairly well-defined and is a little bit different from the others, right? So already that's a good starting point for this match. So getting right into it, you've got Dragunov hits an immediate running kick to McDonough. Uh, then both men want their shot at McDonough, that being uh, Breaker and Dragunov, and they keep pulling each other off to get at JD here. So JD hits a leg drop and a snap suplex to Braun after throwing Dragunov out of the ring. We get a Northern Light suplex to Dragunov from McDonough for a near fall. I, I Sorry, for a two count. I didn't call it a near fall. It was so early. Nobody believed it was ending there. Then uh, Braun is out of the picture for a little while. He eventually runs in with a double clothesline to take control of both of the other men. We get a corner clothesline, belly-to-belly overhead for McDonough, and then he throws Dragunov, I think it was also a belly-to-belly, and runs him over with a shoulder tackle. We then have Braun dominating Dragunov as JD is sort of looking on from the floor, being that opportunistic heel waiting for his moment. We get repeated elbows a little bit later to McDonough from Dragunov. Uh, Dragunov counters a devil inside attempt into a Death Valley driver, so he hits the move to McDonough onto Braun Breaker, who's sitting in the corner. He then follows up, he being Dragunov in this case, with a coast-to-coast dropkick to both of the other men who are still kind of stacked up in the corner there. Um, Later on, McDonough cheers as Dragunov and Braun Breaker brawl. Dragunov um, chases McDonough into a back body drop from Braun Breaker. McDonough becomes a punching bag a bit 
later for the others until they throw him to the floor. And then Dragunov and Braun are left to square off. We get elbows from Dragunov, uh, running clotheslines, but Braun hits one of his own. Um, JD shows up to stop a gorilla press with a nice headbutt to Braun to take him down. We then, a little later, Braun Breaker hits his Frankensteiner to JD McDonough, and that sends him directly into a sit-out powerbomb from Dragunov in what was a very cool idea for a spot here. It was executed pretty well uh, as well. So Frankensteiner into a sit-out powerbomb looked cool. We get a chop ex exchange. Dragunov is speared through the ropes, uh, and he and Braun head out to the floor. That leads to a spring salt, springboard moonsault by JD McDonough to both of those men onto the floor. Then a Dragunov powerbomb to Braun for two count. JD off the ropes with a 450 to Dragunov for a two count. Then a McDonough brainbuster to Braun for a two count as things are starting to pick up here. Uh, Dragunov, Germans, McDonough, and then Braun ends up hitting a German to both of them as Dragunov goes to another German to McDonough. Braun does it to both. It looks fantastic. He hits the signature Steiner top rope bulldog to Dragunov. He hits his gorilla press slam, but McDonough pulls um, Breaker out of the ring and steals the pinfall attempt. And I thought this was a really believable near fall with the, the slimy heel trying to steal the win after the, the babyface champion hits his finisher. But uh, Dragunov ends up kicking out of what became a really good near fall here. Braun comes back in, throws McDonough out of the ring, but runs into a stiff knee from Dragunov. Top rope senton, torpedo Moscow. But JD McDonough shows up at the last second to stop the referee's hand from coming down for the three count, which I guess works. There's no rules. There's no disqualification. If the ref physically can't make the three count, I mean, it opens up a lot of options in that field i guess but uh it works here for mcdonough we then get uh mcdonough dragonov slap fest a split a spanish fly by mcdonough to dragonov on the floor torpedo moscow countered into a chair attack out on the floor dragonov is now disoriented heads into the ring strike exchange jumping kick and a german from dragonov um to braun breaker and then he goes for his torpedo moscow one more time but this time it's countered in with a braun breaker spear Braun Breaker goes for the cover, gets the pinfall, and retains in what was an excellent, in my opinion, triple threat match. A really entertaining, high-quality, almost takeover-worthy, I think, um, triple threat match here. I really like the mix of styles, as I discussed before I kind of got into the match. The powerhouse, the technician, the striker impervious to pain, right? Really cool combination. Dragunov and JD McDonough are fantastic to watch. They're seasoned veterans, and Braun, for the amount that he has wrestled, is really good, and he is good enough to have an excellent match with two guys of this caliber, which they did here. Some really nice one-on-one -on -one action, some good stuff with all three of them, high-impact moves, a believable near-fall along the way. So I'm really ready for a new champion, and I'm hoping that Braun will ascend to the main roster. Even here, I think he was the least impressive of the three in this match, but he easily held his own. I am not going to be critical of Braun Breaker. He, he's what developmental should be. He took They took him from being, you know, okay to now he's looking a lot more polished. I think he's probably ready for main roster. I thought McDonough looked fantastic. Dragunov, Dragunov looks awesome. I don't know if they're going to spin into their own little feud for the, or if McDonough now is elevated and going for the title on his own. I don't know what's going to happen. I know... Dragunov and McDonough faced off on um, NXT this week. I won't spoil it because I'll talk about it on our main show, but 
interested to see where they go because McDonough and Dragunov are both fantastic in the ring. They could have some great matches with other people along the way. But an excellent main event. Um, very much enjoyed it. Might even make my list of things I really, really enjoyed this year. Thinking about it, um, I'll probably check it out again. But an excellent match and a great finish to this show. Again, Braun retaining wouldn't be my choice, but it seems to be the pretty obvious choice at this point, as it's hard to see anyone taking him out at this point. So overall thoughts on this show, bookended by some really, really high quality matches. And then I felt like some average matches in between with some segments I didn't enjoy at all. And then what felt like filler in just main roster ads and things like that. It seems to be kind of par for the course now on these premium live events. So again, fantastic high octane opener that never let up, thoroughly entertaining, um, and I would say, like, this is one of those where I love to say, like, if you didn't watch this, go out and watch this. If you didn't see the main event, you should go out and see the main event. So I love the fact that on a WWE show specifically, I am saying there are two matches that are fantastic and that you should go out of your way to check out. So that's the opener, the ladder match, that is, and the main event for the NXT Championship. Both fantastic matches. Um, then in between, you had Waller and Cruz that was solid. But again, hurt for me by the lights going out and disappearing acts and spookiness. Um, I thought probably a below average but not awful weapons match with Jade and Perez. Again, keeping in mind the age and experience level of both competitors. A solid diamond mine match. Again, a little disappointing. I would have preferred a different match format. But it wasn't bad. It just, I don't think it was great either. And the women's championship match was disappointing. Too much time in the haunted house building up to the match. And then you still had Toxic Attraction interfering. It was just a standard Mandy Rose Toxic Attraction TV, any sort of title defense she has, right? So I think it was pretty short as well, maybe like seven minutes. So that was disappointing. Um, and then just stuff that was really not necessary or filler was the Haunted House stuff with Fry and Ro uh, Fire and Rose, sorry. Um, I don't think anything the host did was super entertaining to me, to be honest. Shotzi and Quincy, they tried. I just, I, I would have been fine if their segments weren't there at all. The Chase U segment, while I didn't mind it, it didn't seem necessary on a premium live event. That could have easily been somewhere else at some other point. Um, same for the Schism segment, right? Just, I'm not looking for a lot of furthering of other stories on premium live events. I'm looking for like culminations or major points of interest on feuds that already exist but anyways that's probably just me and so match rating I always give a grade a letter grade it's been tough for me I'll tell you I'm going back and forth between a c plus and a b minus and what I'm asking myself are the main event and the opener good enough to pull the whole show up to a B minus. And I think that's going to be my final decision, even though I had a C plus written in my notes here. The fact that two out of however many matches I can say were excellent, I think I need to, and nothing was awful either. Like, yes, the Haunted House thing I thought was awful, but that's a small percentage of the show. So I will go with a B minus, right? Two matches were fantastic and worth going out of your way to find. Everything else in the middle I thought was match-wise inoffensive, but not great and then some segments and things that were filler to awful so a really really mixed bag on this show but again two great matches so i'm happy with that that's going to bring me to the end of this solo mission review of halloween havoc hope you enjoyed it if you have any comments would love to hear them fnswrestling at gmail.com or fns underscore wrestling underscore podcast on instagram that'll get to my son he'll let me know 
feel free to like, subscribe, share this, whatever. We do nothing to promote this podcast. It still really is just a hobby that we enjoy doing. But if the growth picked up a little, that would be amazing too. Really happy that anyone spends their time listening to us talk about wrestling. I will be back tomorrow with my son to tackle a whole bunch more wrestling from this week, a little more in-depth when it comes to AEW Dynamite. So hopefully you can find the time to check that out. But thank you for joining me on this solo mission. I will be back down here tomorrow. And until then, take care.